morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord, reminding you there are notes on the back of your bulletin that will help you. You can fill in the blanks there. It will help you uh, stay focused this morning and give you something to take home with you as well. Uh, Turn with me in the book of Philippians chapter number 4. This morning we're reading from the New Living Translation, the book of Philippians chapter 4, reading verses 2 and 3. And while you're... uh, uh, finding that this morning, let me just take a moment and uh, and tell you thank you so very much for your kindness, your uh, your love, your generosity. Thank you to the board who takes so uh, good care of us. Uh, just I am just incredibly, incredibly blessed uh, to have an incredible uh, group of men to work with. Uh, they love me. Uh, they love my wife. They love this church. They love the ministry, and it's a joy. It's a joy to work with them, and uh, it's not that way in a lot of churches. In fact, in a lot of churches, it's a big old power struggle, and uh, you know, I, I'm just not going to be a part of that. If the church don't want the pastor to be the pastor, then they've got the wrong guy. That's just the way it is, because I believe that the pastor is uh, the overseer of the church, and that God, is, God will put men uh, alongside him to help fulfill his vision and his dream, uh, God-given vision and dream for the church, and that's the way it has been the last... Uh, Almost eight years here at New Bethel, and I, I, I'm just delighted to have uh, some incredible guys to work with. Thank you for your uh, generous offering this morning. The Lord richly uh, bless you. We appreciate it so very, very much. Words, they're just not words to say what you want to say, so really all you can simply say from the very depth of our heart is thank you. Uh, we are privileged and honored uh, you know, we talk to other pastors. We know uh, if you talk to other church members, you'll understand there's just something special about New Bethel. It's not like this everywhere. It's not. And we are so blessed and we are so grateful and thankful, uh, most of all, to God and then uh, to you and all of the leadership of New Bethel. It's good to be here this morning. My wife and I took a little time. We went to a mission summit for a few days and then took a few extra days ourselves and you know, it's very, very important that we get away uh, every once in a while. Uh, I'm not sing- singing the blues. I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I know we're all busy. This, I mean, we, we, it's 90 miles an hour all the time. This is, it's just go, go, go. It's always something to do. Always, and she's busier than I am. I mean, it's just there's always something. Yes, we work together, but we seldom see each other because I hide away in my little cove back there and do my work, and uh, she's up there running the church. Amen? We work together, uh, we live together, we love each other very, very much, but uh, we both live very, very busy lives, and because of the different uh, uh, responsibilities that we have, we go in different directions nearly all the time, and it's just awesome when we can go and be alone and be together uh, from time to time, and that's very, very important, and we appreciate your understanding, And uh, but if you don't understand, I'm going to do it anyway, okay? Uh, because I love, my, my, I love uh, my marriage more than I love you. Amen? Amen. And thank you for your understanding, your love, your support, and especially to our board. In fact, sometimes my board says, Pastor, you need to go. You need to go. I don't know if I get too cranky and, and whatever, but every once in a while, especially Ricky over here will say, Pastor, you and your wife, you need to go. Amen. So, anyway. Hey, the book of Philippians chapter number 4 this morning, reading verses number 2 and 3. And by the way, last Sunday we were in church, but the, the worship wasn't near as good as it is here at New Bethel. And, well, the preaching, it wasn't even close. I mean, it, it, 
In fact, I preach so good sometimes, you know, that uh, first of all, I tell my wife, take notes, because I know I'm going to say some things I don't have written down, may want to say them again. And sometimes I preach so good, I want to give myself a love offering. I mean, that's, uh, that's just how good it is sometimes. Amen. I tell them, turn those monitors up, because I like to hear me. Amen. Hey, I'm just having fun with you this morning. Is that okay? The book of Philippians, chapter number four, this morning, beginning reading with verse number two, New Living Translation. The Apostle Paul writes, the church of Philippi. He says, now I appeal to you, Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. This morning I want to talk to you about how to restore broken relationships. How to restore broken relationships. Father, I just thank you today, Lord, that that you are in our midst today, Father. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit, Lord, that is so awesome and so incredible today. God, I just pray your anointing, Lord, will enable and empower us today to, to minister effectively the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will do, Lord, what we are unable to do. You will take the Word and and you will do with the Word of God, Lord, what needs to be done today. Father, we ask all of these things for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Two women in the church of Philip, I couldn't get along. Why is it always the women? I just lost half my audience. Two women in the church, both of them Christians, both of them commended by the Apostle Paul as good workers in the church. And yet for whatever reason, they could not get along. No doubt both of these women were incredible women. No doubt both of these were women of God, workers in the church, valuable in the kingdom. Now who knows what their problem was with one another. And perhaps it had, it had gone on for so long that they themselves couldn't even remember what they had a falling out about. Perhaps it was something that started out very, very small but had mushroomed and, and had grown over time. Paul seems to get along fine with both of these women. And both of them are commended by him. And yet for whatever reason, these two women just cannot get along with each other. And therefore they have experienced a broken relationship. How do you restore a broken relationship? Maybe it's best friends who who no longer speak to one another. Perhaps it's... Mates who who live in the very same house but live very separate lives. It could be co-workers who who only speak to one another only if it's necessary and work-related. Maybe it's families. Families who have a prodigal son or daughter who has been in the far country far too long and this relationship with the family is, is broken. Maybe it's church members who who sit on opposite sides of the church or or they even attend separate services so as not to have to speak or interact with one another. 
How do you restore broken relationships? Well, there are six things I want to talk about this morning. Give you a little guidance, give you a little help this morning in restoring broken relationships. The first thing you need to do is you simply need to realize that life is, is too short to carry a grudge. You see, far too many people are walking through life with a chip on their shoulder just daring somebody to knock it off. Do you understand that unforgiveness is like taking a spoonful of poison every single morning? Oh, it may not kill you all at once, but little by little by little, and and each subsequent day you are a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse, and eventually it gets you. All of us are tempted to carry a grudge. All of us are tempted to carry a grudge. Help me understand that no one gets out of life alive. Life will eventually kill you. No one gets through life without being lied to. No one gets through life without being lied about. No one gets through life without being cheated or mistreated, misunderstood, taken advantage of. There, do you feel better now? Notice the definition of a grudge. Now, if you're from Oklahoma, you probably think that a grudge is the place where you park your car. But actually, the definition of a grudge is a feeling of ill will or resentment. A a synonym for the word grudge is bitterness. Bitterness. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, Get rid of all bitterness. Anger. Rage, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Friend, bitterness can ruin not only your life, but it can also ruin not only your life, but everyone around you, everyone you come in contact with. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 wrote, Watch out so that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you and corrupting many. Notice Paul uses the words poisonous. Root of bitterness. Bitterness is poison that not only will destroy you, but also will destroy everyone around you. The Bible says that Cain held a grudge against his brother Abel. Oh, he allowed this root to grow until it consumed him, until one day he killed his very own brother. Esau carried a grudge against his brother Jacob and never seemed to totally get over it. His family picked up this grudge and carried it long after Esau was dead and gone. I tell you, friends, life is far too short to carry a grudge. Grudges do no one any good and poison a whole lot of good people. Paul writes to these two women in the church of Philippi, please, please, he writes, he says, because you belong to the Lord, because you're a part of the body, because you're members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, please, he says, please settle your disagreements. Paul was saying, realize that life is far too short to carry a grudge. Don't poison yourself and everybody else around you with the poison of bitterness. Work things out, Paul writes. Stop fussing, stop fighting, reconcile your differences. If we're going to restore a broken relationship, notice the next thing that we need to do. We need to to refuse to dwell on the past. 
refuse to dwell on the past. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3, Paul writes, I forget those things that are behind me. And he said, I look forward to those things that are in front of me. Can we do anything about the past? Can we do anything about the past? Can we change it? Can we rearrange it? Can we erase it? Can we do it over now? The past is the past. It is what it is. So in light of the fact, oh, that we can do absolutely nothing about the past, then why in the world do we spend so much time there? There are two things that we need to forget about the past. Two things we need to forget about the past. The first thing we need to forget about, and we need to forget about all the bad stuff. And the second thing that we need to forget about the past, we need to, rem- we need to forget all the good stuff. You see, most of the bad stuff wasn't nearly as bad as we remember it. Oh, I didn't go over very good. I said most of the bad stuff wasn't nearly as bad as we remember it. And most of the good stuff wasn't nearly as good as we remember it. Oh, everybody likes to talk about the good old days, but I haven't found anybody yet that wants to go back to them. If we're going to restore broken relationships, we're going to have to refuse to dwell on the past. The Lord has blessed me and allowed me to do a lot of traveling in my ministry over the past Uh, 38 years, and the past 38 years, I've actually traveled all over the country, about eight different countries, but all over the United States, I've traveled in ministry. And I preached in churches 2,000 miles away from home, and in places that I had never, ever been to before, and didn't know the people, had never met them before, and here I am 2,000 miles away from home, talking to somebody for the very first time that I've just met for the very first time and invariably 10 minutes into a conversation with somebody I had just met, they're going to start talking about a situation where somebody wounded them, somebody hurt them. And I would say, oh, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry that this happened to you. Nobody ought to have to experience something like this. When did this happen to you? (laughs) Yeah, back in 85, man. (laughs) Yeah. What? 85? That's 25 years ago. They not only live this thing once but over and over and over and over again they have they have rehearsed and, and nursed this wound kind of like a little boy that falls down and skins his knee and it bleeds but in time in time a scab forms over the wound it's a part of the healing process and all he's got to do is leave that scab alone and it'll heal itself and in time the scab will fall off and you won't even know there was a problem there wasn't even an injury there but invariably right before the wound heals the little boy pulls off the scab and there it goes bleeding all over again and he does it over and over and over and over I've sat with pastors who I just met and not only, not ten 
minutes into our conversation, they're telling me about a church that did them dirty, telling me about a a deacon that did them wrong, telling me about a a mean-spirited church member that offended them. And the way they are telling the story, you would think that it happened last week. And I'm a pastor and I will... Well, say to them, I'm, I'm so sorry. No pastor deserves to be treated the way that you were treated, man. When did this happen to you? Ah, oh, man. Well, oh, back in 95, man. 95? 95? That was 15 years ago. But they will not allow that wound to heal. Just before the wound heals, they pull that scab over, pull that scab off and let it bleed again. They rehearse that incident and rehearse that situation over and over and over. If we're going to restore broken relationships, we must refuse to dwell on the past. Let's look at Acts chapter 15 this morning. The book of Acts chapter number 15, verse 36 through 41. Since then, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's now go back to visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord. Let's see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And the contention became so sharp. We're talking about men of God here. Talking about preachers, leaders of the early church. The contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and he sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. Paul and Barnabas argue over allowing Mark on their ministry team. Paul is adamant, no, Mark has no place on our ministry team. He's not a team player. We can't count on him. When we needed him, he deserted us. No, he is not a part of the ministry team. He's adamant about it. And he splits company with his partner in the ministry. But years later, at the end of Paul's ministry, Paul calls for Mark's help. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul writing and he writes and he says, he says, get Mark. Who? Mark. The same turkey that He didn't want on his team. Same guy he couldn't count on earlier. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me for ministry. Evidently the broken relationship between Paul and Mark was restored. Paul refused to dwell on the past. Write this down this morning if you're taking notes. Paul didn't disqualify Mark's future because of his past. I said Paul didn't disqualify Mark's future because of his past. 
Just because somebody fails once, that doesn't doom them to live a lifetime of failure. Just because somebody let you down once, just because someone failed to live up to your expectation of them once or twice or even three times, does that mean that you're going to write them off for good? Will they always be a failure in your eyes? Do you want people to treat you this way when you fail? And believe me, you have and you will fail. Is that the way you want people? If you fail, do you want people to write you off? Or do you want them to give you a second and third and fourth and 576 chances? There's a young minister that I know. No one ever, this person ever associated with this church. A young minister that I know who messed up several times in his early ministry. He's been in ministry for several years now and has had some recent success. But it's still hard for me to see him as anything but a mess up. I'm just being honest with you this morning. It's hard for me to see him as anything but a mess up. I tend to think of him as he was and not how he is. If we're going to restore broken relationships, we're going to have to refuse to dwell on the past. The third thing we're going to have to do, I've got to hurry this morning. Wow. This was a good one this morning. If you're going to restore broken relationships, you're going to have to reflect on your part in the conflict. Reflect on your part in the conflict. You see, seldom is fault or blame all in one person. There's usually enough blame to go around. Now hear me clearly this morning. I'm I'm certainly not justifying the actions of Joseph's brothers when they threw him in a pit, when they sold him as a slave, and they told their father that Joseph was dead. I'm not justifying their actions, but Joseph wasn't 100% innocent either. Nobody likes to see their father favor one of their siblings over them. Nobody likes that. And there's no doubt in my mind that Joseph knew how to work the system. Yeah. No doubt Joseph knew how to work the system to his advantage. My sister was my father's favorite. She stayed up an hour later than the rest of us kids when we went to Went to bed because she'd stay, stay up and tickle daddy's feet. <laughs> no doubt Joseph knew as the favorite how to work the system to his advantage. He seemed to show off his coat of many colors. No doubt he bragged about his dream. Yes, Joseph was an incredible man, one of the one of the purest, one of the greatest men in the entirety of the word of the Lord. Joseph's brothers were much, much more to blame than Joseph was, and they certainly weren't justified in their actions. But Joseph wasn't a hundred percent innocent either, and neither are you. And neither am I. If we're going to restore broken relationships, we're going to have to reflect on our part of the conflict. What is it that we said? What is it that we did? What did we not say? 
What did we not do? Oh, we may not be responsible for the majority of the problem, but but we probably are not 100% innocent either. We probably contributed to the problem to some extent. Esau, Esau, he was gypped by his brother Jacob. No doubt, dirty dog. (laughs) Took advantage of his own brother. Jacob took advantage of Esau. Esau was gypped by his brother. But he did make the deal. I said he did make the deal. He did make the trade. Ask yourself, what have I done? Or what is it that I have not done that contributed to this broken relationship? Because I promise you 99.9% of the time there's fault on both ends of the line. The fourth thing you need to do this morning, if you're going to restore broken relationships, you need to reach out to the other person. Reach out to the other person. Romans 12 and 18, if it is possible. I love that scripture. If it is possible. Because it's not always. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And then look what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 18. Verse 15 through 17. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go... And tell him. Say go and tell him. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to even hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Jesus said, if there's a problem in a relationship, go to that person. You see, the relationship will never be restored by just sweeping everything under the rug and ignoring everything and hoping that it will just somehow miraculously go away. It doesn't go away. It festers and grows and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So what do you do? Reach out to the other person. Take the high road. Take the initiative. Go to the person and try and work things out. In Luke chapter 15, we find recorded the familiar story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15 and verse 20 says, When he, speaking about the prodigal son, when he was still a great way off, underline, he was still a great way off. He was still a great way off. His father saw him, ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. The father didn't wait for his son to come all the way home to him. He ran to his son. He took the initiative. It was the son that had left home. It was the son that had squandered the family fortune. It was the son that had done wrong. No matter, the father wanted to restore the broken relationship. And so the father, even though the father had done nothing wrong, the blame was all on the son. And yet before the son got all the way home, the father, when the son was still a great way off, ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. Don't wait around for somebody that's wronged you to come and apologize. 
Take the high road. Be quick to apologize, even if the other person was more in the wrong than you were. Hard pill to swallow. Let me tell you the same thing my father always used to tell the groom right before they walked out for the marriage ceremony. My father would always tell the groom, he says, son, you can be right or you can be happy. You can be right or you can be happy. My dad said it is better to be happy than to always have to be right. And here's what I've learned and what I continue to learn. When you apologize, even if you feel that you have nothing to apologize for, even if you are the one that was wrong, but if you take the high road, if you are willing to to apologize and take the blame for it, here's what I've learned and continue to learn. An apology, write this down, an apology disarms the other person. An apology disarms the other person and usually softens their attitude toward you. And when you apologize, don't use phrases like, If I've done anything to you. If. Don't use phrases like, I'm sorry for my part. Of the problem. I feel I might have offended you. No. Take the blame. Take the blame. Take the blame for all of it. And if you take the high road and take the blame, even if you're not to blame, even if you're not, there's, you've done nothing wrong, but if you take the high road and you take all the blame, just watch and see how they start softening towards you. Just see how quickly their attitude towards you begins to change. You know, in a marriage, you can be having a knockdown drag out. How many know what that is? You're going to be having a knockdown dragon. I mean, you're yelling and name calling, and there's pots and pens flying all over the place. And then out of nowhere, one of the mates decides, decides to take the high road and apologize, and it just comes out of nowhere, and they say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, honey. It was all my fault. I'm such a jerk. And immediately the other mate begins saying, oh no, baby cakes, honey, sugar, love muffin, you're not a a jerk, I'm a jerk, it wasn't your fault, honey, it wasn't your fault, it was my fault. You say, it's never happened that way for me because you never took the high road. You just got a bigger pot or pan to throw. If you're going to restore a broken relationship, you're going to need to reach out to the other person. Take the high road. Take the initiative. Friend, if you will apologize, even if you feel you have nothing to apologize about, it will disarm the other person and usually this will soften their attitude 
towards you. You want to restore a broken relationship? The fifth thing you need to do this morning. Wow, this is big. Don't stop taking notes now. Rectify your wrongs. Rectify your wrongs. Don't, don't just say you're wrong. Prove it by your actions. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 30 and 31 says, Excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he is starving, but if he is caught, he must pay back. Say pay back. If he's caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. What's the wisdom writer saying? He's saying there is no justification for wrongdoing or wrong action. No justification for wrongdoing or wrong action. Case in point, a hungry person who's, who's starving to death and they steal food to keep from starving to death. And we want to give them the excuse, well, it's okay because they were hungry, but it still doesn't justify stealing. And although you might sympathize with the hungry person, you still cannot justify their action. Even if he's stealing food for his hungry belly. And the wisdom writer said that when this thief is caught, if he's caught, although you may sympathize, you may want to write this thing off, you might want to say, it's okay, I understand you were hungry. But the wisdom writer said that when the thief is caught, he must pay back what he stole seven times over. People hurt people. Wrong people. Do people dirty. And when the truth comes out, they think a simple apology is enough. Just utter a few words of apology and all should be well. No. If you've wronged somebody, make it right. I said, if you've wronged somebody, make it right. If you owe somebody money, pay them the money you owe. Well, that was 20 years ago. You owe a lot of interest. If you owe somebody money, pay them. Don't just say, I'm sorry I didn't pay you. Pay up. Say, I'm sorry I didn't pay you. Here's the money I owe you. Here's some interest. I'm sorry I didn't pay you, and I still can't pay you. But here's $10, or here's $50, and I'm going to pay you a little bit at a time until I pay my dad. Because sorry doesn't just mean I feel bad. Sorry, genuine sorriness means I messed up and I'll make it right. And it may take me my whole life, but I'll get you paid back. Or I'll put on payments, or I'm going to sell something in order to pay the debt. If you lied about somebody, say to them, I'm sorry that I lied about you. But don't stop there. Then go to the people you lied to and clear their name. 
I'm thinking of a lady who told all the members of my church in another church where I pastored an outright blatant lie that made me look really bad. She apologized to me later, but she never made it right. I went to a few people and I was going to make it right. They said, Pastor, we know you, we know her. We know what to believe and what not to believe. Well, this was a mature saint. Not everybody she told was a mature saint. If you did poor quality work for somebody or didn't finish a project you were paid uh, to do, don't just say, I'm sorry. After you say you're sorry, make it right. Do the work over. Finish the project. Return the money or all the above. Rectify your wrongs. Now let me say this this morning. On the other hand, if people don't make it right, if people don't make it right, you on the other hand must still forgive them and refuse to hold a grudge even if they don't make it right. And notice the last thing this morning that you need to do in order to restore broken relationships. Release it to God. Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus said about broken relationships, make them a priority. Before you come and worship, take care of the broken relationship. Make Restored relationships, a priority in your life. Reconcile to the very best of your ability. Go to your brother. Do all that you can do to reconcile. Take all the blame. Take the high road. Then and only then when you have done all that you can do and you've done everything that you can do to reconcile, only then turn it over to God and let Him do for you what you are unable to do for yourself. Years ago, a pastor friend of mine had a split in his church. Several of the families in his church came across town to the church I was pastoring began, uh, began attending my church. This pastor who his church had just split called me up and chewed me out royally. He, he called me unethical. He called me a sheep stealer. He called me all kinds of ugly names. He yelled at me. He screamed at me. And after that, he wouldn't speak to me for years. I hadn't done anything wrong. I just happened to pastor another AG church in the same city. And when the people left him, they had to go somewhere. And so they came to my church. I tried to reconcile with him. I told him I was sorry for his problems. And, and I assured him that I had done nothing to attract his sheep to me. They had to go somewhere. If they're going to leave him, they had to go somewhere. So they, on their own, had chosen to come to my church. He needed somebody to blame for the church split. And so he chose to blame me. Years went by. One night my phone rings and I was pastoring in another city by this time and had no idea where this pastor was. I, I hadn't even thought of him for years. And out of the blue, one Sunday night, 
Late Sunday night, my phone rings, and it's this pastor. And he said, I've been trying to get a church for years, and I can't get one. And he said, tonight I was praying at the altar and I was asking God, why? You've called me to be a pastor, but I can't get a church. Why can't I get a church? I've had churches before. I'm not that bad. I've had churches before. Why can't I get a church? And he said, God spoke to me and he said, you will never pastor another church until you call Mike Benson and apologize for the way you treated him when your church split in certain, certain town X amount of years ago. He apologized to me, asked me to forgive him, called him by name. I said, I forgave you way back when. I said, brother, I forgave you way back. I forgave you when it happened. Brother, I gave you, told his name. I said, brother, I knew you were hurting. I had sympathy for you. I knew you were hurting. I knew you, and you were just lashing out at me because of your pain. And I forgave you a long time ago. He said, well, God said, I'll never pastor another church till I apologize to you. Not long after that, I saw him. Had a big old smile on his face. He'd just been elected at a church. I mean, understand, sometimes we can do all the right things and people still will not respond to us. What do we do after we've done all that we can to restore a broken relationship and the other party just will not have a part in it and they refuse to reconcile? Oh, then we simply release the situation to God and let Him do for us what we are unable to do ourselves. Friend, God has a lot of different ways to bring people around. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 says that when you've done everything that you possibly can, just stand. Stand on God's promises. Stand on God's word. Stand on God's faithfulness. Would you stand with me this morning? Musicians, could you get back in place this morning? We've been talking about how to restore broken relationships today. It's not a shouting message. It's not a feel-good message. But I'll tell you what, it will make you feel better when you get a broken relationship healed and restored. Let me encourage you today, don't allow pride, don't allow arrogance, don't allow a stubborn spirit to rob you of the sweet fellowship that a relationship can provide. Life's too short to hold a grudge. Don't let the past spoil your future. You're probably not 100% innocent in the situation yourself. Reach out to people. Take, take the high road. Apologize quickly. Even if they are more at fault than you. Take the high road. Take the responsibility. Take the blame. Don't just say you're sorry. Prove it. By your actions as you make things right. See what most of the time we do. We, 
Don't even apologize. We just start treating the person nicer. Or maybe we buy gifts for them or do things for them. Well, major, notorious for this. No. No. Say I'm sorry. Accept the blame. And rectify the situation by making things right. And when you've done all that you can, relationship is still broken just release it to God and let God do for you see I tried to mend the relationship with that pastor we had coffee together I don't many times we had been in each other's offices tried everything I could to restore the relationship. I couldn't. He left town not speaking to me. But God did what I could never do. And years later the phone rings. I hadn't thought of this brother in years. I certainly hadn't thought of this situation. heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Nobody's looking about. Nobody's leaving this room for just a moment today.